Hi, I'm Carrie Ann Moss, and I played Trinity in the Matrix films. 20 years ago, we asked ourselves how long it would be before faces and bodies could be changed as easily as we change clothes. We wondered, what would identity mean in a completely digital world? And what would reality mean when a world we can build feels as real as our own? Everybody, welcome back to 2022. Oh Yay. my gosh! Yeah. Oh yeah. Nicholas is very excited. I'm not in a good mood today. <laughs> I'm well, in a bad mood. Well, I mean, honestly, with all the Omicron stuff uh, going on, this yeah. episode will mark us off at 2022, where we are still two years deep into this panini, and we are <laughs> not excited about slodging through it. Um, so, welcome back to the Furidashi Podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Lauren Ash, here with the lovely Nicholas. Hello, everyone. Yeah, and I've got my cup of coffee, I've got my Lister Time time, and we are here to talk about Unreal Engine and its use in film. Yeah, so, so yeah. <laughs> so one of the things that has happened of late is that um, Epic, the company that um, created the game Unreal and also the engine based on that game, or for that game, or syn- in synergy with that game, it's kind of a complicated relationship. Um with the recent release of the, the the newest Matrix film, has decided to do a so for, full court press, pushing the like capabilities of Unreal Engine Five. So we wanted to talk about what it means t- to have a game engine that is essentially like the means by which to produce other media. And Lauren, as a designer, has worked with Unreal Engine extensively. So we have not an expert, but something close to an expert on hand to talk yeah, about I it. Don't, I don't think anyone, I mean, maybe if you are the tools engineer, tools designers, specifically for Unreal Engine, I think you could claim expertency, um, if that's a word. Expertise, but I believe. Expertise, thank you. Welcome to 2022. The first word of 2022 on this podcast is expertisony. Um, you just made up another word. Uh, all right. I cannot claim to be an expert on Unreal Engine. I will say that I started an Unreal Development Kit. Now, yeah. back in the day, in ye old times of the 80s, um, <laughs> not actually that ye old, uh, but for all you Gen Zers out there who uh, can't imagine that time, um, Unreal Engine has been around for a really long time. Uh, Unreal Engine used to Since be called- Since the 90s. The, since not, it's, not to- uh, 90s, okay, not, hold not on, hold on. So we have to start in the 80s because a lot of development kits were called oh, okay, kits. Seriously. And they're still called okay. kits today because yeah. modders would download modding kits, which is actually different than a development kit. We yeah. still use that terminology today because um, PlayStation and Sony is very known for giving out to any developers, even if you are a single developer, um, so say solo dev, giving out a PlayStation kit to be able to use the platform for PlayStation, right? I'm making this connection very, very important because in order to test something like a build, right, you are building a code, right, a game, yeah. and testing yeah. it on a kit, okay, requires an engine. 
And when they weren't called engines, they were called kits because it was something you could download immediately and then just mod additionally. Skyrim creation yeah. kit comes from that kind of lexicon. And this is important yeah. because Unreal Development Kit or UDK started in right 1.0 and went all the way to mm-hmm. UD3. Ish. I don't. I don't think that's true. I think UDK really? actually came out with three. I think. Let you, me let me look that up while, well, while you're talking. Okay. No. 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 Okay. So to the public. No. 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 Nicholas is right. So Unreal Engine started though internally, right, with the games for yes, Unreal Tournament. Yes. 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 yes okay. Sorry. So yeah. it had versions that were not released to the public, but it yes. was a development kit for yeah, their okay, developers, yeah. right, to develop on, right. Yeah. And much like Skyrim, right, had its creation tools dedicated to the creation of those games. And Fallout tools are actually different than Skyrim tools because the games are incredibly different. But because yeah. Unreal was making one game, the tools were pretty much similar for it. And what they realized is that they could actually create the same tools and if they let other developers, right? So yeah. a developer-to-developer business model. Yeah, yeah. Design on top of it, kind of like a modder would design on top of those, they could actually make money. And then thus, right, UD, UDK was what it was called, but it's also known as UD3. Yeah. Um, that is where I actually started, is when it was first kind of developed. I did my master's, like, uh, what's it called when you apply? Uh, it's not application. a... Pro- application. Thank you. <laughs> Hi. 2022 is a slow, slow starting year for me. I'm sorry. Me. I should make fun of Lauren when she's being very impressive. I'm no, sorry. No, no, it's okay. Um, I used UDK because I didn't know what modding was, and Unreal Development Kit was free to download and you were able to make your levels on it. So that's what I applied for my master's program on um, with the help of YouTube. So thank you. Shout out to YouTube for having great tutorials. You should sponsor us. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I think that what's really interesting, though, is UDK was very systemic. Okay, this is very incredible and very important to the history is that it was so systemic. It was built for developers. It was not friendly to use. It was very clunky. It was really old school. I mean, UDK is probably just as hard to use a Skyrim creation kit. And you have, if you've ever read or listened to me or heard my advice that I give people, I say you guys should try Skyrim creation kit. It's terrible. It's unwieldy. If you're not a programmer, you barely can use it. You can't make changes. It's horrible as a first-time user experience. Now, Unreal Engine 5 is coming out, and it's right the most cinematic, beautiful experience. Very it's pretty. Very, lots so lots pretty. of triangles. So many triangles. So many triangles. <laughs> I want you to know that UEK started as a, hey, do you want to build your first person Wolfenstein in this game? Like, that's that's basically how it started in the pixelated, yeah. like, yeah. because that's how, that's the only assets they gave you with the starter content. Looked like space vortexes and the levels you started in didn't even have a sun it was all black and you're building a level in 2d top-down light but you have to add in the light and so you've just got a bunch of like it it was horrible it's a horrible experience and now they're saying oh like let's redo the matrix right in unreal is kind of the thing that came out from december from the game awards um also with the new matrix movie right so it was kind of interesting now that for me my kind of expertise at least on the subject is knowing kind of how the mandalorian was filmed and how and which tools they used Mm -hmm. in unreal engine to really bring some of those scenes to life with like the graphic fidelity of the real world um i'm gonna put large scare quotes around the real world there no that is yeah i I said it hopefully i said it with that intonation but if i did did, not the scare quotes were needed you did So, yeah, so that is the brief history of it from my expertise um, and kind of the development history of it is that I have seen this go from 
basically a, you have 50 small windows and a level open and you can barely see your level. It doesn't support multi-monitor. So you're just dragging windows everywhere yeah, yeah. to I am developing, like people are developing cinematics in it. Right? Yeah. Well, okay. So one of the, that is all really fantastic. There are two things I want to add. One is that obviously, okay. So disclaimer, Unreal Engine is not the only video game engine in existence. We are aware of this. Also, I like, just brought up two others. <laughs> I hope you guys realize yeah. those are actually what the people use to develop the game. <laughs> They're still just as hard <laughs> and terrible yeah. now in 2017. And also, we're not really going to talk about like the very bespoke engines that have been created for specific games because that's just an entirely different like topic. We may address that at some point, but that's not really what we want to address today. For me, the fundamental like point of evolution and this really occurred with the later builds of unreal engine 4 is the relationship between so the reason why this is important for film is because if you think about the film production process and the way in which cgi typically works it's almost entirely done in post-processing historically so what that means is that, you know, you film whatever live action elements you may have in a lot of films. Oftentimes it's extremely cursory. You'll literally have like a single like living individual against what is essentially just a bunch of green blocks. And then the green blocks will later, you know, be turned into actual terrain and monsters and so forth. So that's the way historically things are done. You, you film a bunch of crap against a green screen or against, you know, a green set or like whatever mock up you're using. And then once you have that footage, you then layer things back on top of it or, you know, using whatever systems are available to you. What is different about Unreal Engine 4 and the way it's being used, the way it was used for The Mandalorian and also the way they hope it will be used going forward with Unreal Engine 5 is that you will actually be able to see those overlay elements in camera. Since things are primarily filmed digitally now, what epic has tried to do is develop a process whereby you don't have to sort of like think about what you're going to do in post-processing terms you can actually have it there in literally the viewfinder that you're using to see the film as it's being shot now this is useful in several respects it's useful to the director it's useful to the cinematographer and it's also useful to the actors who are involved in a particular scene because the thing is when you're an actor so let's take each of those one by one. So when you're an actor, it can be extremely off-putting to be put into what is essentially a giant green room with a stick that has a tennis ball on the end of it. And then someone tells you, this is an ogre. And you're like, okay, <laughs> that's an ogre, I guess. But having the ability to actually sort of like visualize what is going on in real time actually can help the actors improve and develop their performances. Similarly, for the director, it's very useful to see, like, you don't have to wonder if something that you throw in after the fact is going to look like crap. You can literally see it in real time and realize, oh, wait, this looks like crap. We need to adjust it. And then from the cinematographer's perspective, it's an extremely powerful tool because you don't have to essentially, like, bifurcate your process. You don't have to do, like, one half of your work, like, on set and then another half of your work offset. So the the way in which all that gets I don't know if I would agree with the bifurcated of your process and like the integration just to okay, like butt yeah. in just a little bit because when we're working on the set of The Mandalorian and even when we looked at John Favreau's like work on The Lion King, yeah. right? I know that a lot of people out there, if you have the Disney Plus description, I'm sure you've seen like the making of The Mandalorian. But I think that what came down to the efficiency 
um, and the integration of the processes of Unreal Engine specifically was the really fast turnaround time of the real time kind of like editing and shooting that Nicholas is talking about. But it still has a very like bifurcated processing of someone is still needs to be around to edit and animate and create that asset. Right. And I think that they can't animate that on the fly. Right. You can have motion capture and you have motion capture tools that are integrated with Unreal specifically for real time animation. And that is actually even a third party tool. It's not actually Unreal. It's Maya. So Maya now has integrated rigging and animating live runtime, specifically in Unreal Engine, because of the film industry. And so that's that right there is the way that they're helping break that process down to test for kind of other developers. But it's not something that game developers are ever going to use. There is no reason why I would need real-time Maya. But I wonder. See, I, I, I see... I actually agree with your argument, but the thing is, I also do have a nagging suspicion as to, so like we've talked a bit about the way in which sort of like the engine will have really important ramifications for how film production or like, you know, cinematography, generally speaking. But I do actually wonder what the backflow will be, because to me, in thinking about this, especially since I've been doing a lot of reading about like the history of animation and the relationship between animation and film. If you guys want more on that, well, then you're going to have to subscribe to the Patreon because that's where we're actually going to talk about it. <laughs> um, but because I've done all that reading, I've started to realize that there is more of a like a dialectical relationship between these two things. Like, But I don't know what's going to happen in terms of the relationship between film and video game production so, because we're at that point. We're at the point right. where, well, where it will happen. Well, we've been at this point before. And so let's actually talk about this point before where okay. Unreal Engine was a systemic engine. And it had something called like animatics or um, animator. It was something, it was a, oh gosh, I am matinee. There we go. Oh yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. I think I hit the mic there. Sorry about that guys. I was very excited <laughs> that I remembered this. Yeah. 2022, that coffee is kicking in. Um, so matinee was one of the original Unreal Engine ways for you to create kind of a machinima. You used in-game assets and you used different yeah. animations and strung them together to create something that looked like a cinematic intro. Source has this as well. Right. Yeah. Source has this yeah. as well. A lot yeah. of a lot of engines, if not all engines, have a little something like this. Yeah. Um, and I say if not all engines have a little something like this. Um, <laughs> is that not every engine actually has this at all? Um, and I can neither confirm nor deny if I've worked at any uh, place that does not have this. Because I am not I'm not tr- I was never I've never been a cinematic designer. Yeah. Um, I've worked in systems. And I've worked actually mainly in gameplay systems, some more of the systemic stuff. But I have done, yeah. I did work on animatics. And even in Unreal Engine, the way it started was in a very rudimentary script of blueprint. And you actually had to blueprint these play animation nodes together. And a lot of companies that have proprietary engines still have something as basic as a graph paper. Okay. And you just draw bubbles and then write the word play anim. And then write the word play dialogue right after it. And then just you just pray to the gods that they're happening at the same time, okay? And then yeah. like play lip flap, also praying to the gods that they happen at the same time. Because, you know, this is this is what game dev is, praying to the gods. And that, that's really it, and duct tape. And I think that <laughs> what Unreal Engine has actually done is because they were hiring people from the film industry to create more cinematics, not just Unreal Engine, right? All game development studios started to create something called Sequencer 
which basically looks exactly like Adobe Premiere Pro, but with inside your game engine tool set so that you're able to edit a game like animations in real time animations or in pre-scripted videos or pre-scripted animations in the same way that you edit them in Adobe Premiere Pro. And that was a huge step forward for cinematic film-like quality in a lot of these games. Yeah. Um, and I really want to point out this as a tools thing because a game like Final Fantasy VII Remake, and I, I have never worked at Square Enix officially, I can neither confirm nor deny if that even had an Adobe Premiere Pro video editor for that game like they could have scripted yeah. every single one of those cinematics in basically the equivalent of graph paper with you drawing nodes and saying play 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 like yeah that is what we started with because we were creating something visual for game developers right we weren't creating something for people who came from film who were used to video editing so that yeah. already has happened um when it comes to unreal engine now though with its like real time feedback of someone animating at a film set, okay, in Maya, and it real time editing it in Unreal, okay, yeah. real time someone seeing it, right? I don't, I don't see game development using that because it's way too costly. Okay. Because we don't, <clears throat> we don't have the actor on set for a whole day. We have them for three hours. Yeah. They're usually a voice actor. They may not be the same person that's motion capturing that, that would need to act that scene. Okay. We also would have, what, another developer. Usually, we'd have, say, the lead level designer getting into a mocap suit instead of lead level designing to play the orc. Yeah. Right? So we yeah. are we double hat jobs, which is really fun because I love doing motion capture. I did a <laughs> lot of motion capture on Avengers, like, as previs and stuff. None yeah, of it yeah. probably made it into the game. Like, right, it gets animated out, but you just do a lot of, like, quick stuff. But for one of the senior gameplay designers to not be working on gameplay design and being in a mocap suit costs the company money, right? That's true. Yeah. And then they don't have the budget in games to hire particular stunt actors, like say all the time. Um, or if they do hire them, their ROI is going to take a lot longer. It's not just one film success for a weekend or two weeks. It's, you know, hopefully longer tail than that, but it it's just too, it's too expensive. And so... We're getting, you know, Maya will send out these emails to game developers for like, don't you want this really fancy tool that we spent years working on? <laughs> and we're like, no, that is not helpful. And then they're really disappointed because we're like, we're not going to use it because we're not in the film industry. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to give you a little bit of a like choose your own podcast. So you, ha you have two paths that have opened up before you. One, you see a door leading into the past. Another is a door leading into a very bright and yet somehow surreal future. Which path do you take, Lauren? Because it's going to determine where I go next. <laughs> no, I, I, I was hoping that maybe at this point we like somehow do both magically and then like they actually have to choose side A or side B like on the vinyl. <laughs> I, will, I, will, I, will, I, will, I will cover both. But the question is, which one do we go to first? Do you want the past or do you want the future? Oh man, I so I was talking a little bit about the past and I went into the future. So let's I always like to go back to the past before I go to the bright surreal future. Okay, so a, a game you mentioned, although only obliquely, which is Final Fantasy 7, you actually mentioned its its recent remake. Final Fantasy 7 is an extremely important game in the history of video game production for a whole host of reasons, but especially for this topic, it's extremely relevant because one of the things that Final Fantasy, the developers at Square Enix, or I guess it was just Square at the time, were trying to do 
was create a game that was explicitly cinematic. Now, at the time, this was extremely difficult. And one of the reasons why uh, Square decided to actually ditch Nintendo in favor of Sony was because the Sony hardware actually had a level of capability that the Nintendo hardware did not, especially in terms of 3D rendering. But they still encountered this problem where, and you'll notice this if you go back and play the original Final Fantasy VII, where the endgame cinematics were developed using completely different tools from the actual like internal the, the actual gameplay, like you know, the blue screen with the, the gray border and so forth. However, one of the things that started with Final Fantasy VII, and you'll see this whenever you like have a random encounter, is that because they were spending so much time working on those cutscene cinematics, it also meant that they started thinking about the in-game camera in a cinematic way. So that's why you get, like, you know, when you have the spider tank battle near, you know, the beginning of the game, that's why the camera is, like, constantly rotating around everything. Because they were using the same basic philosophy of thinking about how to frame in-game shots that they had used when developing the the cinematics for the game as well. And so that's actually kind of the thing that I want to explore. It's like, I I 100% agree with you, Lauren. I don't think that you're going to get this, like, I don't know, mega production process where, yeah, like literally you have a dozen animators on set and they're all, and or like, you know, if you're working on a game that you literally just have like actors who are just sort of like on salary who are literally in there and you're like, oh, I need to work on a combat encounter. I will grab this human being and pull it. Like that's not going to happen. But what I'm I mean, that would be really cool. <laughs> <laughs> it, would be, it would be awesome, but you're right. It's unlikely to happen given you know, production constraints. But what I wonder is what are the subtle, what are the more subtle changes going to be? What are the changes going to be that are like that the different way of thinking about the, the in-game camera? Because it's really Final Fantasy VII that did that, and they did it first, and they did it for a historically specific reason. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I don't know what those are. Yeah, I really know. And I'm really glad that you kind of brought up more of the high level, right? That surface of when you think about a film and the camera is following different characters, but it also allows you to see kind of that top down or kind of objective perspective of what really is happening, right? You're able to see multiple perspectives yeah. at a time in film in a way that you can do in games, but not say always it is always still yeah. objective to you as the player whether you're right in final fantasy 7 you're doing tactics turn-based combat or right in final fantasy 7 remake they've kind of made it a little bit more action oriented so it's right you take on the persona of cloud or you switch right in real time to yeah. to yeah. barrett or to tifa which i really really loved but it is more subjective it's more you the player have to inhabit that body um, and I know that like I went from the practical kind of tool side is that, yeah, production wise, I just don't see it working. That doesn't to say that what Nicholas described or what I also described doesn't happen. It has happened where the actor and the stunt team are in mocaps and you do have an animator there adjusting in animation, right? Like yeah. that has happened, but it's not on salary. Um, and it's not regularly like you would think of it as a film set. Yeah. Yeah. I think that. For me, the question as a game designer and as like a designer who has worked on cinematic style like uh, content, as well as more systemic content, which uses or tries to systemize a cinematic style, yeah, is yeah. that cin like oh man, is that cinematography has really already influenced games like a lot. Yeah. Um, and we see that in pretty much every action adventure genre title. Definitely, yeah, definitely. Right? And I mean, we see it right in Final Fantasy fourteen, that MMO that we play. <laughs> um, but I mean, like, what, what's interesting to me is that you see that in the cutscenes, right? You see that in the videos that you watch. These are yeah. like video files, right? Yeah. 
And I think that what is interesting is that games as they stand need a camera that enhances the game qualities and not detracts from it. Yeah. And because the player can usually control the camera, it's up to the player in most cases to create that cinematic experience. Usually. Usually. Yeah. And I think that that's really kind of where it boils down to for me is that I feel like technology like AR and VR, um, which stands for augmented reality and virtual reality, if in 2022 you are unaware, (laughs) um, is actually going to impact the film industry a little bit more because now you could have an actor have a VR headset on because they're not being filmed. They're doing motion capture for the animator to come in and edit over them, right? Or they have AR on and they're being filmed but they're being filmed and then they'll recast the scene later in like a little bit different ways. Like, does that make sense? Like a fight scene in VR, they could actually yeah. see where the orc is hitting them and like a camera can capture them like this. Well, yeah, and then they re- to yeah. help practice a scene or to repeat a movement. Right. Yeah. And especially like- if you had someone, some way to actually like rig up a HUD that like the actor could see in real time. So that way they could, yeah, so- they don't, they don't have to visualize it in their head. They can like, yeah. see something like, right. Yeah. And, and something that we actually haven't said about in a while here is that in the Lord of the Rings, when Peter Jackson was filming those, they had a lot of practical slash like green screen half and half. And so that, that was still translated into the Mandalorian, which their real technological, um, I don't know, epiphany was using that light screen that was that dome around to yeah, yeah. mirror the outside world in a studio set. That to me was more impressive than them using Unreal Engine. And maybe it's just because I've used Unreal Engine, right? Yeah. And so I think that the thing for me as a game designer that gets me more excited is less about the, well, how am I cerebrally going to start thinking about my games? Like, I'm not going to think about my games differently. And I think that's maybe where game development's super jaded. Is that like cinematography has already influenced our games enough to where in a multiplayer game, will think like, is this like an Overwatch? Is this cinematic enough? Is this something that I can replay and I understand what's going on? Yeah. Right? But it's more like sports cam versus like... True. Okay, how so am I going to make the Mandalorian into my video game? I'm sorry. there, There's already been that. Let's do that thing that every kid did with the Choose Your Own Adventure book, which is go back to the like the choice path that we made and let's pick the other route. Okay, so, so let's go back. Let's so go so back let's, and pick let's the Let's go back the and be like, future. no, screw screw history door let's go through history. <laughs> let's go through future door okay because one of the things that unreal engine 5 is trying to do conscientiously like literally you know sweeney himself has said this tim sweeney by the way is the guy who created unreal engine and is still well, its primary mm. like well okay he is I, the I one who is i know credited, what you mean he is credited with it <laughs> okay anyway. sorry when all game debbie on us i was like Whatever your thoughts about Tim Sweeney, he's, he's irrelevant to the conversation. Anyway, he has explicitly said that one of the things that his team, which is the thing that we should emphasize, have been working on is better integration. And Epic has been in the process of buying out a bunch of other companies and various other like platforms and various forms of software, specifically because they're trying to create think about Unreal Engine 5 not necessarily as like a totalizing system but rather sort of like like the kernel when you're talking about like you know computer software it is sort of the base structure upon which everything else can be built and so you have integration with things like Maya as Lauren has already mentioned 
and you know other engines do this as well unity is well integrated with blender etc 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 but the point is that and this is why it's relevant for film production and sort of the the sort of dialectical relationship is that if you're building a system that is sort of like the primary node if you will to which other systems can connect then that is fundamentally different from something that is sort of like say a toolkit like that i actually think that a dev kit and this are fundamentally different things Be okay they are you have said yeah. it exactly right right there because if we, I, I know we're in the bright and shiny future, but we remember <laughs> the Lord of the Rings, the Two Towers video game production in our yeah. background. And we realized that the Lord of the Rings set, okay, the designers who animated the Balrog, yeah, gave yeah. the Balrog to the developers back when this game was coming out in the early 2000s, okay? Yeah. It was over 2 million polys. Yeah. There is no way you are getting that Balrog from the movie into the video <laughs> game, right? And what I think the bright and shiny future is Unreal Engine is trying to close that gap. But unfortunately, yeah. the hardware limitations of our hardware and software today cannot close that gap. You're still not going to get a 2 million poly asset into a real time, right, encounter. Unless, yeah. right, there's a lot of specific conditions, even if the integration with other software is connected. Yeah, yeah. And so I do think in this bright and shiny future that what Tim Sweeney is trying to do is very idealistic, but it's trying to make things better for whom. And if we're going to keep pushing and pushing higher graphic fidelity, yeah. the first people to use that tool are going to be film because you're watching something that's pre-recorded. Yeah. Right. And it's not going to be real time games because a development kit and what Unreal Engine started as and how we change it as developers at our companies like once you get Unreal Engine, that base node, and you yeah. build off of it, your engineers come in and build the tools your game needs, which yeah. may or may not be compatible with the integrations that Unreal's base package tries to do, which then Unreal Engine will just update on you, and then everything that you built will break, and you will have to redo it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, sounds like somebody is angry about something that has happened in the past ah! that you can't talk about. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. No, I mean, it's, it's a natural part of development, but like, it quite okay, literally will break for a while. And during development, you just won't know until, you know, someone in QA is like, hey, did you realize this has been broken? And you're like, what? Yeah, it broke like three months ago. So this, yeah. since we're we're arriving at a point where eventually we're going to stop recording, I, I want to bring up one extra issue because it's very easy to talk about all of these things in these sort of like highfalutin, uh, like, oh, the future is so bright. Everything's going to be so amazing because there actually is a fundamental problem that underlies all of these things that we haven't mentioned, which is the uncanny valley. Oh, so, for those, damn. so, so, so for those of you who are not familiar with this concept, it's probably, it often gets described in precisely the wrong way. Cause what the uncanny value valley is, is this, the closer you get to like per, quote unquote, perfect graphic fidelity with the so-called real world. All of these things are in scare quotes, by the way, the closer you get the more uneasy you feel about it. So strangely, you feel less upset as a, as a psychological creature about something that is a visual representation that is far afield from your sensory experience. And you feel more upset about something that is extremely close to your sensory experience, but isn't. And, I, and, and, and the uncanny valley for me, or for a lot of people, is usually described as something as the feeling that hits when you know it isn't real, but it looks real. 
right? And that's a very dumb- Or that it's trying to look real. It's trying to look real. And I think what's interesting is a lot of my friends get the Uncanny Valley pretty regularly, and I don't. And I am glad that you brought it up because with games and because of the real-type graphic performance that we- Unfortunately, that we deal with in the the game industry, it's not really unfortunate. It's just you know hardware. It's a reality. It's, it's a reality. A reality. <laughs> is that yeah? Um, <laughs> oh yay! Uh, it is a it's a reality of un, of Unreal Engine that <laughs> I think that we're not able to hit those marks, and yeah. we un, like thankfully we don't really hit the Uncanny Valley too often, even if we get super hyper realistic, because we even if someone like. Like Aloy from Horizon Zero Dawn just looks amazing. You still know that it's a video game. And so you don't hit that on Kenny Valley. But because films, particularly, can push the graphic fidelity of its subjects so far, right? They can hit the Uncanny Valley. And I'm not saying that games won't, may never uh, get to there. It's going to be quite a while before real time graphic performance of, say, what we've seen in like the Matrix Awakens. Right. Well, that's the thing Get is that, but I, but I games, did, but, but that's the thing. So when I watched the 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 Matrix Awakens thing, and I well not watch played it insofar as you can play it, um, because you do mostly watch it. I actually felt that uncanny valley feeling, even in the moments when you were supposed to be like, "Whoa, Neo looks totally real." Like, no, it didn't look real to me. It looked well, kind of, ugh. and that's what I'm talking. I guess that's why I mentioned is watch slash filmed. Is that like if you were playing a video game, I think you would have. There is an affordance that comes with the user playing a game, right? That makes the Uncanny Valley less apparent because you buy into that world as it is a game. Now, that doesn't mean maybe video games don't hit the Uncanny Valley. I really can't speak to it because I just don't experience the Uncanny Valley. Yeah. In a a way that I like when people said, oh, this gives me the Uncanny Valley. I look at it and I'm like, it's not real. Like, I, I just, <laughs> yeah. I just know, right? And I think that that's why it makes it really hard. Or when I see yeah. somebody that's so, like, one of those faces that you can make in Unreal 5 that's, like, super, super detailed. Yeah, yeah. Like, some people get Uncanny Valley from that. And I am like, not real. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 like you have, it's like you have a game dev cynicism about engines built into you. You're like, yeah, I, of course I couldn't do it. <laughs> I think I, I've had that since I was like 12. You know, I'm like watching these things and people are like, wow, is that a real human? And I'm like, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, you know, I'm a kid. I'm watching like, uh, just, just so we're clear, Final Fantasy is a great example of this because they have a huge, um, uh, oh my gosh, a huge history of this with the first movie, Final Fantasy Spirits Awaken. It's not the first movie. It's, no, it's, Spirits Within. Is oh, Spirits Within. Yeah. Excuse me, Spirits Within. Yeah. Um, now I'm getting a confused with Matrix. And I think that's really important for us to look at because Spirits Within, my uh, at the time, I was just at that cusp where I was like, this is not real people. But also my friends were like, these look like real people. Where I was like, we're, they were pretty young. Like I have, I've had friends that are two to three years younger and two to three years older than me. And we're yeah, at yeah. that age where, you know, the movie had come out or by the time we'd gotten it, that it was like, are these real? Are these not? And I think that that's where it, people were like, this is Uncanny Valley. They look real, but they're not real. And we had never seen anything highly graphic fidelity at that time. Right. Yeah. 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 And then, and it also wasn't in a video game. It was in a movie. And the concept of movies being just CGI characters was not something that I was familiar with at all as a child. Like yeah. that just, there was animation, but there wasn't like, I'm a CGI animated thing. That isn't like Toy Story. Okay. 
Well, right? so yeah. So I think that that's really important for us to look at the Uncanny Valley because this is why it's a topic I think for film and games is that film hits it really easily, but the affordances of a video game, you already know it isn't real, right? And it's a lot. You can't just put. Well, okay. Now to bright and shiny future. Um, I was going to say, you can't just put real assets of the world into a game. That is a lie. Um, photogametry. So that is where artists take pictures of the real world and they put them onto the in-game assets. That absolutely can be done. So in the future, maybe our games will be something where you walk around a real space with CGI characters. And that will be... You know, I don't know. That would be pretty cool, actually. But right. you would still have an affordance of it being a video game. So who knows? So with, that would be cool. That's our bright and shiny future, everybody. <laughs> so with that, I think we're going to close out this episode because we've already apparently come up with eight topics for future episodes. Um, and you're going to hear them all about in 2022. <laughs> I want to thank you all for joining us this week. Um, if you want to hear our discussion about the relationship between sort of game design and animation and the relationship to film, well, you're going to have to sign up for the Patreon. You can go to patreon.com forward slash foodidashi. Um, as always, we appreciate you being here. It's going to be another glorious year here at Fudidashi Studios, I guess. I don't know. That's a thing that I just made up. Lauren, yeah. do, you have any, do you have anything that you want to leave the fine people with? No, I think leaving them with everything that we ended on was great. I know we tend to bring up a lot of high-level and low-level topics in these episodes, so I really appreciate it. If you want to get dig into more of this with us, don't forget you can subscribe to your Patreon or yell at us on Twitter for Pod, and we hope to see you there. Have a great Happy New Year 2022, everyone, and uh, welcome back to another another year. <laughs>